0: hey how's it going champagne sharks hope everyone's doing well just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning let people know go to champagne sharks.com and you get access to all the links related to champagne sharks you can go there and find it all and you can find where we are on social media our products all that stuff also patreon benefits which includes discord server book club night movie night discussions show notes newsletter and most importantly bonus episodes so definitely become a patron for five dollars a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks and without further ado here is the episode take care we have james hennessy if you want to introduce yourself let people know who you are
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, my name's James Hennessy. I'm the editor of Business Insider Australia. Um, I also write a newsletter about tech and politics and culture and business called The Terminal, which is at theterminal.info.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it's like you said, I've been a subscriber to your newsletter, and one of the ones that you sent recently, I thought was pretty uh, interesting. And I'll leave it to you to uh, sum it up yourself.
1: So I I wrote a piece the other week, which was specifically about. Well, it kind of started specifically about sort of the shitload of companies that have popped up over the past uh, couple of years, which are sort of which are you know the LinkedIn bio uh, platforms which you've definitely seen if you use, you know, uh, Instagram or Twitter or TikTok or whatever it's going to be, people will often have a link uh, in their bio, uh, which, and they'll point people to the link in their bio, and it'll be a platform like Linktree or URL.bio or link.bio or like one of a trillion different sites. Um, And inside that uh, link, you'll often just find uh, a list of that person's Links to their various sort of social media profiles and like brand building exercises and shop fronts and whatever that that person kind of runs. So you'll often see uh, someone's uh, not only their core social media profiles like their Instagrams and their Twitters and their TikToks, but you'll also see platforms where they try to make money, like everything from uh, Substack, like newsletters, like I run, to like um, OnlyFans for like the the self made porn, or like your Amazon affiliate websites, Amazon wish lists, um, all sorts of different things. And it, it creates this kind of like bizarre effect that I've kind of noticed and you and I were talking about before the show, where it's kind of like everyone having a, a personal brand is one thing and that's kind of been um, the way that a lot of people have operated in our economy for, you know, the duration of the internet really, or the duration of the internet business. But like There's this, this kind of strange effect where people sort of segment their own lives into these different kind of shop fronts where they sell different aspects of it and it just... It feels like the entire economy now is sort of arrayed in that way where you need to be your own business and you are just, you, you as a person are sort of just a whole bunch of inventory sitting there ready to be sold to all these different audiences. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that just really speaks to this sort of strange position we are in as individuals. Uh, it's kind of online, sure, but also just in the economy now. It fits into... Um, the conversations that people have about the gig economy, unstable work, uh, the whole bit—it's—it's
0: it's also like interesting. Like one of the things that you brought up, and it's kind of true. Like the worse um, you're doing in this type of economy, the more links you're going to have into the link tree. And I thought that was like very true. Like if you, uh, if any one thing hits, that's probably going to be your main or maybe or only uh, link. But it's like for a lot of people, you got to piece together like just a lot of stuff uh to keep people kinda hooked and then you hope to piece it all together. But I think it all kind of ties into I mean, I know it's a word that's getting abused, but the whole parasocial thing where it's like like having this podcast, I kind of think wouldn't it be nice if I could just, you know, intelligent and maybe a little witty and enlightening. And then like money just like, you know, comes in. But I feel like what people want is a friend that happens to be uh educational or a friend that happens to be funny. Like, like you're very much kind of expected, but I think it's not even just like a podcast. I think it's like anything. I think even like if you're an op ed writer or a journalist, like people kind of want to know what your brand is and get a sense of your personality from, uh, social media or whatever. So it's kind of like you're a journalist, but you can't just show your clippings. People want to know what's your Twitter. Do you do 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 good jokes on Twitter? Uh, what's your Instagram? (laughs) What's this and that? Yeah. Like you have these link trees, yeah. So it's like people always said, okay, you got to do champion sharks on Instagram. So I do it, and I'm, I'm like, now nah, I got to do something on it, and I have nothing. Just I have nothing to put on it. Like it's just there. <laughs> I, I just put yeah, a link yeah. Tree. And every now and then I put something stupid on there, and I feel like it's really forced.
1: Yeah, no, and I think I mean, you're right that kind of the, the the term parasocial has been kind of overused and abused, but I think you know obviously a lot of this. Current mode right. emerged from COVID when everyone was sort of at home. You couldn't see a lot of your friends in person, and then if you were if you're a person who was already didn't have that many personal connections, or you know you're le- you're leading a fairly like lonely or atomized existence, as a lot of people are, I think, in the modern sort of age. Um, these were kind of like shortcuts that like, you could pay for. Um, the feeling that you're in some sort of like community or have some sort of relationship with someone, Um, you know, that's kind of like the, the piece of the puzzle for like something like, you know, OnlyFans or whatever. It's not just about, you know, paying for porn or whatever. It's about, the sim, i guess the simulation of some sort of like relationship um online with somebody uh and you know i i subscribe to pay to subscribe for to a couple of sub stacks and you know it's nice um i pay for them because i you know i want the information that's inside them but then you look in kind of like the comment sections of these newsletters and you know people really thrive on that feeling that like i'm in a really exclusive little community yeah. um where i can not only am I interacting with other people to like me, but like you know, we're all arrayed around this person, and there's it's kind of this reciprocal kind of relationship. And I think, yeah, like I said, that has been super elevated by COVID. And I'm actually interested to see if a lot of the sort of gold rush to this kind of subscription way of doing things kind of melts away once every, once the world goes back to normal. But I also don't think it will because I feel like these kind of problems or these kind of, this kind of as as you say atomized sort of world a lot of people live in has like well preceded it.
0: I was, uh, talking to someone the other day and I was like, I feel like there's a term that needs to be introduced like, uh, friend work, you know, or friends, a friendstitute. like, you know, like, uh, you know, people always talk about like, you know, sex work and sex work is real work. And I was like, a lot of people are like doing friend work and nobody really talks about it. But I feel like that's what anything that has a parasocial, uh, element is it's like you know if you have like a podcast and it's like you and your friends just uh talking all day and it's to make like a fifth person feel like they're like the fifth person in the room like you know you're doing you're doing work it's not it's uh it's not sex work but it's uh there's something weirdly uh intimate about it and and yeah for sure yeah yeah and i think people i think people underestimate like that are messing with your head. I think a lot of those people who constantly melt down on Twitter and stuff like that, I think a lot of them uh, don't really know how to deal with uh, having people with that type of
1: access to them and entitlement. For sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, and they, 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 there comes an entitlement on, on people's time. I'm sure as someone, you know, you've got like a podcast community, people listen to your podcast. I'm sure you have people who message you and, Email you and whatever, thinking that you're their friend or whatever, which you know that's kind of part of the part of the deal. Um, but yeah, like, and, but it also does. And I guess it also feeds into. So yeah, that's the need that's being fulfilled, I suppose. Um, on the side of the the creator or whatever, if you're someone who operates one or multiple of these sort of like platforms, you know, the promise is like you have inventory to sell, right? And whatever that, in, and in many cases, as you said, the, the inventory, quote unquote, is like I don't know your capacity to indulge this kind of need to like yeah. indulge a need for friendship or community or whatever, which is you know kind of kind of unusual, um, kind of unusual place that we're we're in where that that becomes like a, such an asset. But um, it also kind of comes down to you know um, the the gig economy and the increasing like casualization and like instability of work, right? Like but it's the same sort of promise that Uber made, right? Uber's original um, promise, at least for like on the ride sharing side of things or delivery riders was like, you know, you have, do you own like a car or a bike in the case of like Uber Eats? You know, you, then you've got inventory. You can spend your spare time delivering food, driving people around. And it's like, that's, that's great. You can supplement some other income with a bit of extra cash on the side. Um, but obviously, the, the promise of the economy, like certainly in Australia, um, and the few times that I've kind of come into contact with it in the US, like, you know, the kind of people that are driving Ubers around and the majority of people you get in the, a car with, with Uber are not doing it as kind of a little supplementary thing. They're doing it as like their, their sole thing. Um, and you see the same kind of process with this kind of thing, where it's like these people, they their whole life is, is being part of like the creator economy or, or whatever. Um, I, I like Twitch streamers, for example. I have no idea how they sit there and like stream for like 12 hours a day. Like that's just, that strikes me as insane work.
0: Yeah, it's really, it's really uh, crazy. It's it's really, it's really nuts. Like uh, a friend of mine uh, talked us into uh, Twitch streaming, you know, as a way to, as a way to like supplement the podcast because that's what everybody's doing now. Everybody's live streaming, so <laughs> you live stream. But then I started realizing, okay, every single thing, that I'm adding is creating another obligation, but the uh, payoff is kind of minimal right now. But what the idea is is that you just inundate with content and just make a lot of content, and then the people will come. And I kind of realize uh, that's what that's tech company thinking. That's total Silicon Valley thinking, where it's like just do it, just spam the hell out of people with with your self or your product. And as long as you get the eyeballs, as long as you get the um, product out there and you kind of uh, try to push everything else out of sight, you know, like the same way, like all these uh, social media sites or these websites are trying to do everything to keep you from clicking and getting off of it. And you talked about it in your newsletter, you know, like uh, where you said that. One of the reasons why they make it so hard for you to put the links in the bios is because they don't want to give people an easy way to leave the ecosystem of the social media. It's almost like how uh, casinos don't want to put windows or anything that lets you see the time or make it so that you have to leave the casino in any way. I feel like a uh, tech company does that with websites. They want to make it so you don't leave. And I feel like we've kind of adopted the same thing. Like, I just want to give people enough. I want to get enough market share. I want to give people enough content to keep them. Always engaged in something I'm doing. And then sooner or yeah. later that's gonna lead to money. It's like, hey Amazon, you're making money yet? No, but we're getting uh market dominance and everyone's using us. It's only a matter of time yet. Like, hey, hey, X, Y, and Z apps, are you making money? No, but uh, you know, we charge next to nothing and we've got a lot of people, you know. Yeah, no, totally.
1: Yeah. It, it's this, it, it comes back it comes back to this. Yeah, I think all this stuff trickles down, right? It, it comes back to this question of like, what, how do you create, like, what is, how do you create value in an economy, right? What is, what, what, a company is worth X amount of money. A company's like, oh, this company has a value. Let's talk about, you know, uh, Linktree, for example, who is one of these Lincoln bio uh, companies that people use as one of the, one of the real uh, popular ones. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's got a, a huge, Valuation. I'm trying to. I'm just trying to find what the actual one is, but it keeps raising money even though it's not. Just like every other tech company, it doesn't actually make any money. And I mentioned this in the um, newsletter that you know all these companies that have popped up to offer that LinkedIn bio service would disappear instantly if Instagram just made it possible to add links in the bio or offered their own sort of inbuilt service. Um, so. They have X amount of users. They're not making money. They could disappear tomorrow if Instagram changed their policy today. Mm-hmm. Um, An example i thought
0: it, of is that place, Storyful or whatever. I mean, a Storify. I mean, there yeah. were a couple of sites that were just all dedicated to making threads easy to find. Then Twitter just added yeah. the functionality of, you know... let it's gone. Yeah, and then all those things are gone. I don't see them anymore.
1: Yeah, totally. Like, uh, so many things emanate from these tech giants. Like, you know, there they, they, they used to be those apps that changed your, the tint of your laptop screen. to like, away from blue light to, like, orange light at night so you could sleep better. And then, you know, the Mac operating system integrated that and those companies, like, those apps are completely gone now, right? It's like these weird little jury-rigged companies that appear in the in the, the crevices of the tech economy, and then just disappear when the when the big boys move in and, and, and change it. But look it, it the point I was originally trying to make is about, yeah, like how do you um, value in this economy when you especially when you're talking about intangible things is so out of whack and it's the only sort of metric that people have is sort of like audience and audience size and how many users you have. You know. You may be losing a billion dollars a year, but if you have a hundred million users, then that's uh, even if there's no path to profitability necessarily, like you, people are still going to keep pumping money uh, into what you're doing, um, and the same logic applies to yeah. Like as you say, if you're someone who likes making content, you feel like you can maybe make a bit of money from that. All you can do is have a have a, a finger in every single pie. Like do newsletters, do Twitch streams, do. Whatever. I mean, I don't know if there's gonna be like a champagne sharks OnlyFans, but maybe, maybe <laughs> you know that's something you move into.
0: One of my co-hosts wanted to uh, do that. I told him, "You, you do that yourself, and so <laughs> be it." You know, because uh, I'm like, I just can't spread myself any thinner. But he's, but he was like, "Oh yeah, OnlyFans. You know, uh, it's not just like pornography and stuff. Like, yeah. like, like we can have like, uh, you know, because I guess you can't curse or get too racy and a lot of stuff." And I'm like, I, I don't want to add an extra thing like Champion sharks after dark or any of you almost yeah. guilty if you leave something
1: unturned no totally um there's that, that that FOMO sort of element which is what a lot of these these things thrive on um but I mean this is it's one of these things where when I was thinking about the creator economy I was kind of like and seeing all this stuff because I obviously you know I spend a, a fair bit of time online looking at looking at content and Whatever reading stuff from big media companies, all the way down to like little creators, whatever watching YouTube, etc. Um, and like, part of me was kind of like, well, I mean, I can observe this sort of trend emerging, but also like, does it matter that much? I mean, there's only a, there's only a certain number of there's a very as a percentage of the population, number of people who are making money off content is like minuscule, right? So. In one sense, like, who cares? It's like a, it's something, it's, it's nice to think about, but it doesn't really matter. But like, then I was thinking, I was kind of like, this is only going to become more of an entrenched way of kind of like doing things. Um, and I think the logic of kind of like, you know, subscriptions and um, paying individuals in kind of like a gig economy kind of way is becoming more and more entrenched across all different kinds of sectors you know, you have tech platforms popping up that handle more or less like outsourcing um, for for simple tasks. Like, you know, there, there are platforms, there's one in it, I don't know what the, oh, you've got Fiverr in the in the US, right? Or like yeah. th- those platforms, the platforms where basically you just pay someone to do something, yeah. right? So uh, it, I think it's interesting to think about because it's just that same logic applied to some other part of uh, people, you know, someone's life, you know. Um, this feeling that, you know, these te- tech companies are inserting themselves as the middleman and clipping the ticket on all different kinds of human interactions. And
0: to dehumanize ourselves. Like I think the corporations have gotten us so used to just being a number or being micromanaged or or having to segment ourselves and like pimp so many parts of ourselves that, you know, they've trained us to just, you know, do it for us on our own time and dime. You know, it's very
1: Absolutely, and like obviously, the 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 myth that connects all these things is kind of that fantasy about you know flexibility. Um, this this fantasy that like you can, I mean, obviously, yeah, you can be your own boss, but also like you can do all the things that you can do, and you have the skills to do. Why not just do them on on your own terms, um, in your own way? And if you want to take a day off, great. Um, obviously, the the uh, the trade off is that you have absolutely no. Protections you get no sick days you get no none of that sort of stuff um, none of your entitlements no no vacation no 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 whatever um, and you you are doing a million things for a million rather basically the promise is you can be your own boss but what you really are is you've replaced your boss with a million bosses
0: yeah exactly. <laughs> or, or
1: however many it is it, exactly and you've also um,
0: taken on a lot of things your boss used to do for you you have to coordinate your own healthcare you have to be your own uh, one person HR, your own manager, like, like you're taking on more work in a, in a way, uh, a lot less protections. But you know what I would say is up there with the flexibility promise, and I think this is built into like everything now. Uh, I call it the long tail lottery, which is like, for example, like acting is a uh, profession that has like a long tail, where it's like a small amount of people who are like very um, high up and have like, you know, or right at the apex of the field, making like millions, then it drops down on a graph, like right? right? And then you have this long tail on the graph of like um, actors who, uh, bartend actors who uh, do a show here and there uh, off-Broadway or off-off-Broadway or in community theater or the person who's just booking commercials while they're being a waiter and stuff like that and and that by far is like 90% of um actors but yeah. that handful that are at the top A-list level make the average salary of an actor like seem very um high but everybody kind of puts up with it like if somebody told you for just about anything like you know you have like a 5% chance of making it. Like, you know, most people be like, oh, hell no. But there's this idea of like a lottery. I'm going to win the lottery. And if it's yeah. sex, it's like, hey, sure. Most sub-stacks are like a long tail of people who aren't making that ton. But maybe, you know, I'll be that breakthrough, you know, maybe I'll get that, uh, or if it's podcast, like, you know, maybe I'll be that breakout uh chapel or Red Scare or type of thing where, yeah. you know, yeah. So there's like there's a lot of lottery.
1: Uh, no, 100%. And that's, I think that's the, the, yeah, especially, I mean, obviously this doesn't apply to all of this kind of motor theme. Like no one's going to, there's no lottery aspect to Uber Eats, for example, but that's the, in the creator economy, that is absolutely a draw. Like you're hundred percent right. Like the feeling that, you know, if I play my cards right, if I really hit and find an audience or I'm doing something no one's done before, there's a there's a chance, there's no ceiling to how successful I can be, right? You know, I like I could be making Charpo money right now. Like I could, I, or I could build up to that. I could really, really um, thrive. But obviously, um, the inverse of that is that, you know, it's really only a very, very top stratum of uh, creators or whatever who are kind of making money like that. Like the, I think I put it in the newsletter, but there was that analysis where it was like, you know, the, the the top 0.1% of like OnlyFans creators clean up like a huge percentage of the total revenue of the platform. And then everyone else is sort of just slumming it more or less. Um, yeah, I, but I think that... The, the sorry, part, go on.
0: on the, I'm going to say on, on Twitter, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's always like those women like, you know, hey, I was a bank teller, uh, single mom, uh, living with my parents, my... Ex boyfriend or ex husband was abusive. Had been in and out of shelters, and I found OnlyFans. Now I just closed my first house. You know, all this stuff yeah, that yeah, could yeah. go viral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know, they may be true, but it's like yeah. this stuff goes viral. Like the whole, you know, hey, I just did OnlyFans, and I just showed my ass for nothing. You know, did nothing really happened Yeah, totally. No, yeah, that's not gonna no, be no viral. Absolutely,
1: no, they certainly <laughs> worked. Um, but like, you know. To a certain degree, these kind of like get rich quick sort of things have just been like f- furniture in the economy forever. Like this, could, this is just a new kind of like it, I don't want to call it like a pyramid scheme, but like it has some of the trappings of the pyramid scheme. Um, with the, the trade off that you actually can climb to the top if you, if you do really well. Um, but yeah, I mean that just I think the appeal as well is is that this kind of thing is um, one of the few ways that people actually see. Capabilities to climb the ladder, right? You know, for a lot of people, you know, the ladder has been kicked out from under them. If you're like a young person now, you know, I know that it's certainly happening in the in the in the US, but Australia, like one of the, we have some of the most expensive property in the world. The prospect of being a young person owning a house is just a distant dream for most people. So, like the traditional ways that you've been told in like capitalism, or whatever, that hey you work really hard and you can climb up the ladder and succeed. A lot of those pathways are closed and a lot of the classes are kind of quite entrenched, but this is like a promise where it's like, well, you know, I might come from nothing, have nothing, but if I buy, if I have an iPhone and like a ring light and some like cool stuff, like that I want to say or do or perform or make, then I could quite potentially be making bank. Uh, And obviously, you know, that's a false promise for a lot of people. Um, but then, then you get into the thing where it's like, well, if I can't make bank on YouTube, then I'll just, I'll, i flog myself across whatever, whatever platform I can, but, but, but no, trying to make that happen. But now you get
0: shamed too if you expect anybody to do anything for you. It's like the Protestant work ethic has been like uh, reduced to like you know a microtransactional version of it, where it's like you know it's not just enough like to work hard. You know, There's the idea of if you work hard you'll do fine. But now if you work hard and you do fine, and if you you work hard and it doesn't work out, then you should have been working twice as hard. Like, did you do this? Did you do that? Oh, you shouldn't have expected a company to actually take care of you. You should have built up a side hustle. You should have done this. You should have done that. There's this kind of Stockholm syndrome. I find that people have now with corporations that is like unprecedented. Like they do less For employees. Employers in general do less, um, for employees than ever and employees forgive more than ever. Or it's like, uh, you know, if Stockholm syndrome can be, um, defined as, uh, your abuser normalizing abuse so much that just them not actively abusing you registers as an act of love, I would say that's perfect description of people's relationship with, uh, corporations now like you know just not firing me is a uh, great employment you know even if you've made me uh work double as long for the same pay to keep this job you know
1: or i have to keep yeah uh, no, totally. keep hoops. yeah no 100 there's and like you know it all comes from this sort of destabilization like nobody the concept of being at the same in the same stable job at one company for like 30 or 40 years or whatever it's just like completely alien uh to everyone now and that, in conjunction with the fact that it's like, well, you know, exactly as you say, like, you, what's your side hustle? What are you doing on the side? How are you making money outside of like regular full-time employment? Like, what what are you doing? Um, is also, I also think restabilizing,
0: yeah, restabilizing is not even in the popular imagination anymore. Like, you've used the word destabilization like a lot, which I think is a perfect way to put it. But people don't even dream that it's possible to restabilize. It's not even in it's not even in the vocabulary. It's just taken as a given, almost as if this is how it always was. Just um, try to make something using technology and apps and all this so-called new freedom you have um, to make up for the destabilization. But it's not the corporation's fault. It's nobody's fault. It's a natural occurrence that just happened, like an act of God. And, you know... Yeah. uh, There's nothing we can do about it except just... uh, fill in the gap with a whole bunch of, uh, micro hustles, but to the yeah. that, uh, the corporations actually do anything, someone's going to be like, Oh, don't you know how capitalism works? You know, you want them to like, people will fight. Like when those layoffs happen, it just amazes me the amount of people who will be on Twitter or on social media and comments lecturing people laid off for complaining, you know, uh, um, yeah. taking the side of the corporation and it'll be like a broke person. It's not even like a an executive taking taking the side of a corporation. It's just like a regular middle class or working class person.
1: Yeah, no, there's I mean the people have very strange allegiances now. Um <laughs> in that regard. And yeah, no, it's obviously bizarre to see uh why anyone would have any sort of loyalty to any corporation in any context. Even if, you know, you look at something like there's still a really broadly positive view of Amazon or whatever, despite all the stuff that we read constantly about appalling working conditions and the fact that, you know, the way they behave in all sorts of ways. Um, but, you know, because they people like same-day delivery, next-day delivery with Amazon Prime or whatever, they feel some, like, attachment to the brand, Um which, you know, I don't, I don't know. I <laughs> don't know how you deal with that.
0: How, but, how, how about what's his name? Elon Musk. In that case, it's not even the brand. Yeah. Like, most of these people can't even afford the brand. They just, for some reason, have made him into like Tony Stark Iron Man in their heads. Yeah. Um,
1: and it's, it's, but yeah, like the Elon Musk sort of cult is really, uh, is, is bizarre to me for a, a number of different reasons. And one of them is, is that, like, he might, like, you know, I don't think people even really necessarily talk about sort of the environmental credentials of electric cars very much anymore in the context of Elon Musk. I feel like the the conversation, you know, uh, five years ago was about, you know, he's like on the front line of fixing climate change because he's making electric cars cool and sexy and everyone wants a Tesla. And that's going to make, that's going to really make that sector work. And then, you know, that's how we're going to reduce emissions from road vehicles or whatever. But like, no, and I feel like that was kind of partially the start of his, the halo that was around him. Um, I seem to recall, yeah, like people talked about that a lot more, more. but now, yeah, he's just become this kind of like Elon Musk sort of character where people think of him as like a good billionaire because he seems to be doing stuff. Even if a lot of it is like dumb novelty or whatever, people seem to think that he's like a genius even if like the only thing you've been doing over the past year is like pumping cryptocurrency or whatever, um,
0: <laughs> the valuation of everything is just so uh, funny. Like everything now is trying to become like a tech company, and if you can like yeah. remotely make yourself seem like a tech company, so yet that thing we work, which is just office leasing, but somehow the guy, yeah. I mean, that company really fascinates me because it's like. People talk about WeWork and how um, you know, crazy it is and people will laugh. But then a lot of people will really look up to BuzzFeed, and I feel like BuzzFeed sounds so similar. I mean, the guy's not like a Jonah Peretti didn't sound like the same type of like uh clearly raging cokehead like that the WeWork Work guy <laughs> comes off, but a yeah. lot of like the antics are trying to um, you know, make themselves seem like a tech company and create a cult around themselves of you know and and, um, the aesthetic and everything, but when it comes to actual money they make or business practices, it's like, I don't, I don't know, but, but it's, it's thing I realize is that value means nothing. You can make up values out of thin air and all that happens is the more outrageous values that you make up, the more normalized the new values get right. So then no one questions anything. Uh, so to give one quick example, there was a guy on my, uh, Timeline. I think he was one of those futurists. He had some kind of blue tech, and I think he yeah. has one of those businesses that he can't understand, but you know, he so, seems to be making money or whatever. And he was quoting this old article by a Business Insider guy. And it was this guy who's, uh, when Facebook first went public, he was like, This valuation is insane. You know, this valuation doesn't make any sense. There's not enough ads in the world to, um, you know, justify this. It's not worth yeah. this amount of money, et cetera. And it was a very well known ad. I mean, there's a well known article of a Business Insider that this guy was quote tweaking, quote tweeting it and like dunking. And like, yeah. you know, uh, since this article came out that said that the $33 billion was was uh, unreasonable valuation, it's now um, valued at $1 trillion and whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, to me, that's like saying, oh yeah, so you think the emperor has no clothes? Well, guess what? Now we have a whole fashion line of <laughs> invisible clothes. Yeah. Like, you didn't prove anything. Like The only mistake to me the guy made was underestimating how crazy it could get. But th- the guy didn't actually point to anything to show that Facebook was worth either the $33 billion or the $1 trillion. He just used a new bigger number Yeah, proof in and of itself, like just the valuation. So then I asked the guy, and I should know better because I've tried to make a point to myself (laughs) just don't interact with people saying stupid things on Twitter. You're never going to convince them, you're just going to frustrate yourself. But I I find it to say, I'm like, how is he wrong? He's like, it's worth one trillion now. I'm like, okay, but how do you know that is just not an even crazier valuation? Like, I, I understand if you're making fun of him for saying don't invest in the stock, like, you know, oh. That was stupid of him. He should have known how crazy things were going to get. Because I have friends who say that. They're like, yeah, of course none of this shit uh, means anything. But if the music's playing, you got to dance. I got to make money. Uh, yeah. I'm betting on everyone else continuing to be disillusional going forward. You know, But at least those guys don't actually believe any of the numbers. They just feel like they have to play along. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like yeah, this is a bubble. It's all going to crash. But what am I going to do? Sit out? like five years of insane profits, you know, but so, so me and this guy were like uh, debating and he was like, well, people say, and I was like, okay, f- I showed him some articles that, like, a, like a third of Facebook's profiles have shown to be uh, like fake or bots or spamming. So I'm like, who even knows who's clicking these links, you know? And he's like, yeah. I advertise on Facebook and I've got a ton of business. I'm like, okay, well, you know what? There you go. It's clearly worth a trillion dollars. It's clearly worth more than whole... Economies of like uh, second world and first world countries. You know, like it's, it's clearly worth more than the GDP of a lot of countries. Uh, yeah, it's really selling that many ads. Wh- whatever you say, but that was all the guy needed uh, to fit the narrative. I put ads on Facebook and it worked for me. So yeah. any number they give me is going to be fine to me.
1: Yeah, no, I mean like the Facebook the Facebook example is is um, really good and it's like held up. Because look, going back to what you originally said about like tech company valuations and BuzzFeed and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was, yeah, there was that real, um, there was that moment earlier in the, well, I guess last decade now where, um, you know, BuzzFeed was a media company and then they sort of started pitching themselves, as you say, as a tech, tech company to investors and like got huge money. And then there was that moment where BuzzFeed laid off a huge amount of staff um, and it was because, you know, uh, they were growing, they were making money, but they weren't making like tech company money. They weren't justifying the growth wasn't tech growth. It was media growth because, you know, at, at its core, it was still a media company growing like a media company, especially growing like a media company in the 21st century yep. when there's so many other things competing for people's time and so many other co- companies there. Um, so as a result, they had to, to do big layoffs. So like that's the, the inverse because the tech company promise is... You know, if you you build the audience, you bring the people in, then one day you flick that switch and you're making money. Um, that's kind of like the promise of, of all these, these brands and startups and what have you. Um, and, yeah, as you say, WeWork is an office leasing company which was able to coast along on a tech mythology, um, even though they weren't making money purely because, you know, they're like, oh, we're a platform, we're an app, we're a... We're not just people who are yeah, leasing out office space to um, as, as uh, to startups or whatever. And you know, you can say the same thing about Uber. You know, are they a tech company or are they just a taxi company? Um, all their employees seem to be doing doing it, or contractors seem to be doing it more or less full time. You know, they have employer like relationships with these people. Are they just a taxi company with a nice app? Yes, obviously, that's exactly what they are. Yeah, exactly um, what
0: they are. Uh, my friend, my, a friend of mine invests and. In- he was talking about this uh, Krispy Kreme IPO that's coming up, and he's like, "Yeah, it's clearly overpriced, but um, everything makes money these days, so I'm gonna in- invest in it." Like, he's like, "There's no fundamentals or whatever, but yeah, you know, uh, you have to invest." And then uh, I was like, "Krispy Kreme, like, what new thing are they doing? Like, their peak was like so long ago. I don't, I don't yeah, yeah. If, I don't know if they're over in Australia how international they are." But uh, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. In in America, like in the late '90s, early 2000s, was like the peak of like Krispy Kreme fever, and they've gone down. Yeah, it'll it'll be like Boston Market doing an IPO now. Like it's like why now? And I was like, you know what? If Krispy Kreme was to do an app, and you know, say like treat the donuts like a decoy business or like a side thing, you know, to get people to adopt the app, I I bet you that IPO would probably even make even more. They'd be able to announce. In like five years, they have a, a trillion dollar valuation. I feel like, I think like trillion dollar valuation is just a new pull out our ass number now. Like oh. look at these like five trillion dollar uh
1: companies when there was like none before. Yeah, I was literally I was literally making exactly the same joke with someone at work the other week. I was like, "If Krispy Kreme just like pitched themselves like we're a platform, like forget <laughs> exactly. the donuts. Kris- Krispy Kreme is a platform. Like they they probably um, they could destroy it. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah. So,
0: people and like how many donuts you sell? Oh, don't worry about it. We sell the least donuts ever, but we have more people downloading our app. Uh, yeah, than ever.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, like
0: five VC's yeah. will pop up, and they'll be like, "Hey, uh, you, you want some funding?"
1: Yeah, and the no fundamentals thing is uh, interesting conversation because like, it completely sounds like with your investor friend, right? Knows there's no there's a there's a whole new class of like retail investor, like you know the Wall Street bets, like the GameStop stuff and whatever. There's a whole contingent of especially like young dudes who sort of dominate that space who realize there are no fundamentals. Like, don't give a fuck, and just treat it like a big sort of like. Casino, like betting on horse racing, right? Yeah. Um, because they're like, who, who gives a fuck? Like, um, and all these sort of institutional investors and like Wall Street guys are sitting there having a, uh, a brain event about it and being like, oh, well, you know, you you aren't real investors. You don't, um, you're not thinking about the right way. You're not thinking about the fundamentals, how these companies are creating value. Warren Buffett's sitting there having a cry about it. And, but at the end of the day, like, these people have told themselves a fiction for however many years that Wall Street was ever not about this, right? Yeah. There's just, like, they, they have their own sort of institutional way of thinking things. But this at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's a, they don't care about, well, the average Wall Street guy does not care about investing in a company that's going to make society better. It, he operates on very similar logic. It's just, you know, abstracted and, and a little bit different. Whereas, you know, the Wall Street Bets guy comes in and goes, I'd like to you know, go to the moon, make a whole bunch of money. So here's how I'm, I'm just going to bet on a bunch of it and who cares. Uh, but, but, and but that's, the,
0: that's the, what, what it comes out of. I was going to say, what's interesting is the old guy never thought the company was going to make the world better, but he did think the company had to at least make a profit, you know, for things to make sense. Yeah. But now it's like, the new person is like, I think this company has a narrative or this company is going to be known or it's going to be around yeah. in five years. Like, it's not going to be one of those things that, you know, like, like Washly or whatever, you know, those other yeah. uh, apps or that, that fail. Like, it's going to survive. As long as you think it's going to survive, then that means that you think it's going to thrive as well. Like, you know, the idea is not about, the idea is not about is it going to actually make profits. It's more like how well-known can the app uh, make itself? Like, how much of an institution can this app yeah. uh make itself. And if it can do that, I know it's gonna keep getting funding and bailouts and it's just gonna keep growing no matter no matter what. And I feel like even individuals are like that now. And what I mean by that is if you look at the things that uh streaming companies license or option or whatever or journalists like you know people hire, you know, like for example like uh someone like that girl Lauren Duca, it's like, okay, this girl has a lot of Social media followers now. That means she's the journalist to hire. You know, the the same way, like the tech company or this app has a lot of uh, people adopting the platform. That means it's a good app. Give it like good VC, give it some VC money. So it's like you can not have any track record as like a writer or something. Or if you're like working on um, comedy or TV or movies, you have no proven like track record of people who will actually pay for a movie you make all you have is twitter followers but people will give you like an all around deal just based on that like they're like you have the eyeballs we'll monetize them somehow we don't know how yet but uh just hire Just hire him or hire her give them a deal give them a show and then like these things like you know just
1: just flop yeah no 100 um and the 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 thing that i think i'm interested to see and one of the things that kind of sustains this really strange environment, which I think, you know, trickles down to everything, is the fact that, you know, money is very cheap right now. You know, uh, there's interest rates around the world are like zero, right? Yeah. You can borrow huge amounts of money really, really easily. And what that does is it keeps these, a lot of companies that should have died uh, alive because they they can shamble along on cheap credit, right? Um, And on the other side of the equation as a, as a, if you're a regular person, you're not going to just leave your money sitting in a savings account where it's not generating any interest whatsoever. You want to like, and if you can't afford to get on the property market, which is like the old, you know, that was the promise for boomers. The world over is like, you bought a house and we're going to make sure that house is worth shitloads more in 20 years time. And all of a sudden, great. You're, you're like, you're not liquid, but you're rich. Yeah. Um, Whereas, you know, now, so especially like through the pandemic, a lot of people got stimulus money and, and what have you. And a lot, of, a lot of people talk about how like that was what was being pumped into like GameStop and cryptocurrency and, and whatever have you. And I think that's probably true because you're not going to leave it just sitting there accruing a in 0.01% interest. You're going you're to gonna want to make it do something. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm really, and, and now obviously, I know the Federal Reserve in the US is talking about, is thinking about how it's going to need to bump start Putting interest rates back up. They're talking about the same conversation here in Australia uh, and all, all over the world. I know a lot of countries like Brazil are already doing it. Um, and i am just be interested to see what that actually looks like on the other side. So I feel like there's so much culture that's bled down mm-hmm. from just that. The fact that money is cheap and it keeps these kind of like companies and brands and assets alive when they maybe wouldn't otherwise. I don't know. I'll be, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I want to see how that plays out. I don't know how the
0: app scene is going on over there, but I feel like there's signs of a reckoning here because a lot of things that used to be uh, cheap have suddenly uh, been more expensive. And for whatever reason, it seems like people are demanding some kind of profit because, for example, like Uber, Lyft, and all those things, suddenly the car rides are, like, super expensive. And somebody was telling me, oh, no, it was just artificially cheap before, you know? Like, uh, you know... And I'm like, okay, if this is like the real price of Uber, uh, I really wonder how long it's gonna. Because suddenly, I'm making sure to uh, take trains now. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll just walk 20 minutes. You know, like there's a lot of things
1: I would just take an Uber for that. Now I'm like, okay, forget that. Absolutely, like Uber is the, the best example of that. It's it's getting to that point here. It's like you know, because people do forget. One of the reasons that getting an Uber X was like. Um, popular was the fact that it was a lot cheaper than cabs right like in in much of i know in new york was a bit different because the um taxi unions had a bit more sway but certainly in australia um the ubers when they first came out was so much cheaper than cabs now cabs have been basically destroyed um there's i don't know like the last time i actually got in the taxi would have been ages ago yeah. um but as but yeah we're, we're seeing the same thing um the prices are starting to edge up. You get to a point where it's like, well, you know, that's what I was paying for a cab in 2011. Um, and so what, what do I have now? I've just got a taxi app that I've got a taxi that has a, a much better app. And like, it's it's feasible that by 2021, the in the absence of Uber, the cab industry would have sorted something out in the absence of that. Um, and I think, yeah, that I, I think there is a reckoning coming. Um, and you see it also with like streaming platforms, like Netflix gets more and more expensive. And because, you know, um, there are so many different platforms and every single media company is building its own streaming platform. And by the time you pay for all those, you are suddenly paying for, like, basically the top cable package that you would have been paid for a a while ago.
0: I was reading something that said that uh, they had this kind of dream. I think the main thing with tech company, or just like the West in general, is this idea that anything that's plentiful now... Just treat it like it's going to be there forever. And if it's not, cross that bridge, you know, later. You know, like, so no one's really stressing how to replace oil. Just treat oil like it's always going to be there, you know, so forth. There's, like, half-assed work on electric cars, whatever. But uh, I feel like the streaming services did that. They just thought, hey, more people watch TV than ever. People will just sign up. Or we'll make this so good, they'll choose us over any other thing. And there's articles that came out talking about churn. And what basically happens is for people who don't pirate, what people are just doing are, they're just arranging with their friends, like, okay, do you want to be the Amazon person? I'll be this person. Or some people, they don't have that thing. What they're doing is they're actively taking the time to cancel, like looking at the calendar and seeing, hey, what's coming up and what's not. Okay. So after I finish, say, Loki, I'll cancel Disney plus then uh, yeah. I'll do Amazon and then I'll watch these shows that I missed. And they weren't expecting that. They just thought people would just set it and forget it, you know, just yeah. get it taken out every month, but people don't want to do that. So now the new solution, because that's the tech and business solution to everything is let's just flood more products. So these representatives were saying we have to keep it so that people never even leave the, um, the streaming service to even look at anything else. So now Netflix solution was we're going to have uh, multiple movies a week, a minimum of one a week or series, but average of about two movies or series every single week. Um, just keep every time you turn on Netflix, there's going to be something new. And I'm like, something's going
1: to give like, I think people. Yeah, just totally. Out. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, there's, and as it, it, it goes in tandem with the fact that like, the quality of the original stuff that Netflix produces is like so much lower than it was a few years ago. Because like, you know, there's this insane amount of output. They think they, rather than being this radical new company, they think like an old school TV station where it's like, we just need to have something on. Like we need to buy something that we can have on and there that someone can click on and watch. Um, And you, you see the same thing in how it deforms, like how the streaming music deforms the way that music is made. Um, obviously, you know, when uh, basically Spotify and Apple Music and whatever came out and kind of destroyed piracy, right? There was a period in like the mid-2000s where like piracy was rampant and people were downing everything and the, the music industry was um, falling to bits and they were that was back when, you know, Metallica and Napster and all that kind of shit. And then the streaming services came and made the music industry profitable again. Um, but again, like something has got to give, the, it's destroyed the old way where it's like you would be an artist and you'd release an album. Now you've just got to like constantly be releasing singles on stream. You've constantly got to be putting music out to make and any amount of money. And
0: they're getting squeezed like crazy now. If you're not one yeah. of the big people who can get like millions of streams, it's, it's not the long yeah. tail thing, you know? Uh, yeah. It, it used to be you could be a small artist and be profitable. But if you're like small or mid-sized and you're counting on streams, uh, forget about it. Yeah, totally.
1: You, 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 like you're not going to be making up streams. So what do you do? Um, well, you either you tour, you sell merch or like you you become like one of those sort of multifaceted creators, right? You can't just be a musician. You've also got to be someone who is streaming or doing like a podcast or doing something where you can get money from people who like you. Um, back to the parasocial conversation or that kind of thing. I, I was actually like, we were look at BI Australia. We were looking at, there's this, um, there's like a, there are bands that kind of, they now, especially through the uh, pandemic where they couldn't tour, um, doing that kind of thing where it's like, well, all right, well, all we can do is get on OnlyFans to talk to fans or, or get or, or, or basically communicate with the people that we love. We're not actually producing the thing that we like to do, which is music, but we have this fan base and we need to convert it into money to live off or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's just I think you're right. Something has got to give. Um, People often talk about subscription fatigue, right? The idea that everything is a subscription now, even things that weren't subscriptions, like Uber now offer subscription products. They have like Uber Pass or whatever you call it, you know. And all of a sudden, you have twenty different things that are subtracting ten bucks a month from you at the end of the month. Um, when do people are going to hit that wall where they go, I don't fucking need any of this? and start doing things like you said, where they subscribe and desubscribe to streaming services according to what's on. Um, and on the creative side, it's like people just can't keep producing all this shit yeah. um, for an audience of potentially like nobody. Like, and that's the thing, like all the, all the figures that Netflix produces, like what are they based on? They're like, oh, 30, 100 million households watched, you know, whatever their new show that I've never heard of like, they've got a new like school, high school drama and like 100 million people watched it. And they'll say that in the press release. You're like, even that just, there's if, no way to... If they tell you at all,
0: because a lot of times don't even bother to yeah. do anything and and you can't double check. Like some people speculate that yeah. there's even straight up lie about numbers because nobody yeah. nobody knows.
1: Well, all the, literally every number any tech company gives you is wrangled in some way, right? Yeah. And then like, it's, obviously it turns out you only need to have watched that Netflix show for like 30 seconds for it to be considered or maybe even less, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the, like that all feeds back to that, you know, the big thing with the pivot to video when all the news organizations like, uh, hired video producers instead of journalists. And there was that like absolutely horrible time, like 2012, where like you would scroll through your Facebook feed and it would just be videos and it would be like news articles done as videos and it's like nobody actually likes to do to consume media this way and um, and the voice There's a certain yeah. voice that's horrible that, that, that they Yeah, do. yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then it turned out that was all based on a lie. That was all based on numbers that Facebook had that were wrong. And Facebook came out and said, "Oh, you know, this was a it was a mistake. We 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 fucked up." But it's like these things have all these knock-on effects that just make <laughs> make life for the average person worse. But every, like I just like everything is
0: based on lies because Look at this—this this one giant lie in media that people, I think, are having trouble admitting was a lie because they put everything into it. And this idea, clicks can get you anything. Like, like uh, I think people had like this is what I think is the biggest lie of the internet that people just have a never-ending appetite to click on uh, ads. And people just do not want to click on ads like that. And th- that's how they sold everything. Like you know, hey, don't worry about subscriptions. Just uh, you know, just get that page views and people will click the ads. And they're trying to find more and more ways to make the ad uh, intrusive. So now you go on a website and you open it, and suddenly you hear sound. And you're scrolling the four yeah. corners of the website, trying to figure out where is this video coming from. I'm at work. This thing is blowing my spot. I was trying to sneaker read. What do I have to hit yeah. X on to? And then I just decided, you know what? I'm never going to the site again. <laughs> like, it, it's no it
1: backfires. So that, think, yeah, I'm not going back to the site. I think, I, th- I think you have like, I think people have come to this is part of like the pivot to like subscriptions and doing stuff is like the fact that, yeah, I think internet advertising. Has been built on like varying degrees of lies since the very beginning, right? I mean, like, every, it's an unspoken rule. Everybody knows that nobody likes seeing ads ever. Like, if if every single human being on Earth would elect not to see an ad if possible, so it's a it's an intrusion no matter which way you look at it. Um, I quite like the thing that you know, uh, you know how um, Apple have added that new feature to. Uh, they're like the iPhone operating system where you can turn off ad tracking, right? You can block ad tracking. You can do it in Safari as well or whatever. Um, so so apps like Facebook can't retarget stuff, can't follow you around the internet and then target stuff to you based on shit that you're looking at. Um, and then when the initial figures come out, like the estimates are that literally like 5% of people have elected not to do that. Like 95% of users have gone, yeah, absolutely, I'm going to block that. Um, and this is after like Facebook did a big public campaign about, you know, this is going to make the internet worse if Apple does this. You want to see ads that are tailored for you. You don't want to see generic ads. You want to see stuff that's based on the things that you like. And then given the opportunity, everyone said, no, fuck that. I don't want to. I have no interest in being tracked. Because, um, like it, yeah, it's just this entire lie that that the average person understands the deal where it's like, okay, I get this content, but in it for free but in exchange i look at this ad and that's something that i agree to and it underpins the web and it's like no nobody ever agreed to that nobody everybody hates that in fact people probably hate people hate paywalls sure but like doesn't mean that they acceded to that
0: universe yeah and and it's like i've clicked ads every now and then i was see an ad that's like a pair of shoes that's like oh yeah. that sh- that pair of shoes looks great I've never seen a pair of shoes like that and look at that price. Okay, I'll click this ad, but that's like once in a blue moon. Like, but what these SEOs and um ad sellers online and everything kind of made made the scene was that, hey, as long as you're on a page that's getting a certain amount of page views, a certain natural amount of those page views are gonna convert into ads. And like, no, it doesn't work that way. If it's just an ad that has no type of um um call to me, even if it's a topic I like, like sneakers or or books or whatever, something spectacular is gonna have to be going on in that ad for me to uh click it. Like just because I'm interested in a general topic doesn't mean that I click every single ad that relates to that topic. Like it's so based on this idea that people are just compulsive consuming machines and that yeah they just can't resist uh an ad about something they like, you know? And it's just not like that. Like, like okay, not you're selling sneakers, they're on sale, but I don't even want to look at what your sale is. Like, I don't want to spend that money. And part of the problem is so many people have banked on this being the future. If you're a media company, and you've made your whole website free for like years on the idea that you can just um, make people look at ads to the tune of, you know, millions of dollars uh, a year, and you found out it didn't happen. Now, when you try to put Pandora's stuff back into the trunk, it's not going to work. You can't just because now that I noticed they're trying that, they're trying to go back to aggressively paywalling and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And you can't, you can't rein that in now. It's it's too late. P- now the default value of your site is free in the minds of yeah. the consumers. Like that's the new anchor. The new anchor is free.
1: Yeah, and because like, you know, no matter how many big companies retreat behind the paywall again, and you know, they're a company like, you know, the New York Times is always going to be able to charge paywall because it's the New York Times and people want to read the New York Times. They have like a a halo around that brand and they're reporting. Um, but there are, there is always going to be a site that is open and free. Like there's always going to be someone who occupies that market niche where they have a bunch of advertising but the content is free. So like that is the baseline will always be the baseline. Um, which is why, you know, you see now that there's, we're in this sort of like creator economy thing where people are willingly paying for the, um, you know, they're, they're paying for like Patreon on a podcast. They're paying for Substacks, whatever. And you see the big media companies now have like dollar signs in their eyes. They're like, Oh shit. We found a way to make this work, which is why a lot of them are bringing newsletters in house. They're doing their own paid podcasts, their own like whatever, just to like recapture some of that glory. Um, and you know, but that's part of the deal of what BuzzFeed says so they're doing as a tech company. You know, we have all these, we sell stuff, we do affiliate marketing, we do blah blah blah, blah that, all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's very hard to put uh, to close Pandora's box. Right? There's um, this sort of baseline was established. 20 years ago and it's going to that's just how it is.
0: Uh let me ask you this. What do you think it's going to take? I don't know if you even know the answer to this, but I'm just curious. It's something I ask a lot of people. Uh cuz I hope someone has the answer. Like what do you think it's going to take for the VC money to start to tighten because I feel like that's fueling a lot of nonsense. Like every stupid business idea I see that's inexplicably driving I always, like, Google the name and VC, and I just find, like, the, you know, like, when you were talking about uh, Linktree, I looked up, like, Linktree and uh, funding, and I saw all these different rounds of Series B yeah. funding and all this stuff. Yeah. Funding of stuff that, um, like you said, one one tweak on Twitter will kill um, this project. Do you remember all those products that were just nothing but shortening links, so <laughs> that think could fit in tweets yeah yeah, yeah like bit bitly, and that yeah, sort of yeah, bitly yeah, yeah and all those things google even had one it was goo g-o-o dot gl and and all this stuff yeah. and then uh google made it so that the character count of the links didn't count against uh the tweet characters and suddenly like those things all like uh this yeah, no one uses bitly and whatever back. anymore yeah
1: this, yeah exactly it's exactly the same um but I I come back to what I said before, which is about when interest rates go up. I think that yeah. that helps when there's less less easy money flying around. That's part of it. I also think that like um, there's like a process of consolidation, right? You see that with the Buzzfeed thing, like in the in the story today. That stuff about like the the spacs, the the spacs. I think are like a real late stage part of this whole really hot. VC economy. So, the, so for the people who don't know, the SP like special purpose acquisition company. That's how Buzzfeed is going public, rather than like the really kind of laborious process of going through like an IPO for like a going public as a company, where you, you know solicit investors and you have your big IPO day. And sometimes the the IPO is disappointing, like in the case of Uber, the share price ended up a lot lower than they ho- thought it was going to be. What a SPAC is is it's just a company, a blank check. It starts, it solicits a lot of investment from investors and goes public as like a nothing company, right? It gets listed on the stock exchange as a nothing company. Then what it does is it acquires something like BuzzFeed and then all of a sudden BuzzFeed is public. It didn't have to go through um, the, the messy sort of IPO process. All of a sudden, it's just public. Um, and that this to me is kind of like the really late stage, demented kind of uh, stage of this kind of, Easy money VC flying VC money flying around world, where um, everything's a bit getting a bit bit too crazy. Um, companies like BuzzFeed are now just trying to acquire a shitload of other companies. Like they acquired HuffPost, now they're going to acquire Complex, I think, and a few other things. Um, it, I think, yeah, what it is it's like this consolidation? Amazon is massive, can instantly own any space that it steps into. PayPal is massive. It can own any sort of like payment space that it steps into. So, yeah, I think interest rates going up, money becoming less cheap, and two, just this consolidation. The big players getting bigger and the little players finding it harder to actually find their space will be what kind of like kills this, um, if it is. if it, It's quite possible like this is just how the world works now. Um, but I think it, there is an end to this kind of like crazy – Gold rush, and it's that.
0: Yeah, I think there definitely has to be an end. I think the mistake that everyone has been making, and for example, the guy who doubted, um, the guy who doubted how how um, big Facebook could get, you know, because it didn't mean anything, is like, I feel like it has the delusion has room to grow. Like, my thing isn't if it's gonna end. My thing is how delusional can it get. Before it ends, because no matter how much I think it's reached its limit, I mean, some of these new companies hitting these crazy valuations um, just make no sense to me. Like, that app Clubhouse was just getting yeah. round after round of funding, you know, and I went there a couple of times. It was cool in the beginning. The novelty wore off. And in a couple of months, it's like a ghost town with like... It's a ghost town, yeah. Y- yeah. It's I a think ghost with scammers and like uh cloud chasers and it's like what that money was fleshed down toward it
1: yeah and i like it comes down to the fact that it's like i mean the the clubhouse logic was like oh people love streaming they love getting on twitch and whatever and watching someone live why don't we just apply that to audio great I, i guess it turns out that like actually there's no wide appeal for live streamed audio yes, like it, if you're like a hustle culture tech dude who loves hearing VCs in like an unfiltered situation, then great. Cause that's what clubhouse basically was, but nobody else is interested in, um, nobody else is interested in like live audio chat rooms. Nobody was, you could like Twitter tried to put their own one, like spaces. Nobody yeah. uses that. And like within weeks, nobody uses it. Yeah, um, nobody used it at, at
0: all. And, uh, and a lot of cloud chasers kind of wanted to use the Clubhouse. And a lot of them are I guess are still trying, but something interesting happened. Some new site came up called Green Room, which I refused to even look at because because <coughs> after seeing Clubhouse, I'm like, there's no way you can make this format work for me. But yeah, all like the, the kind of cloud chasers went to Green Room because it offers some kind of like in app currency that you can like generate through Streaming, so now everybody ran over there, which and the same thing's going to happen for them, so, yeah. So it's, yeah, but I'm sure they get a <laughs> of funding
1: before they have. I feel like that these processes are going really, really quickly, right? Stuff emerges and burns out faster than it ever has, right? You know, think about back in the day, MySpace or whatever came out, it took ages for MySpace to flame out, it flamed out over a prolonged period. Now, Clubhouse emerges. And then you know, you look at the the stat where it's like it's downloads for like down like eighty nine percent month two, like people just moved the fuck on, didn't care about it anymore. Look at something like you know, there was all that insanity around um, NFTs, right? When when they landed, there was I remember I remember the news cycle exactly. It was like everyone was like, oh holy shit, what is this like NBA Top Shots thing? People are buying non exclusive rights to like. NBA videos for insane amounts of money. And that's when everyone suddenly learned about NFTs. Then like the cycle was like, oh, fuck, you can you can buy the exclusive rights to this meme from 20 years ago or whatever. Oh, fuck. And someone's just paid $200,000 for that. Crazy. Awesome. Like this is all holding- like, then literally like one month later, the bottom's fallen out of that market. Nobody is doing it anymore. All those conversations about like, oh, this is how artists could actually make money are done i like, it's yeah, gone. But, but you, you know why I think that happened
0: too is because the first thing people ask is, is it going to go up and can I make money off of this? Yeah. Before they ask, is this useful or is this an yeah. actual <laughs> real product? So to me, yep. what happened with NFT, it was announced and people were like, okay, this is a new thing, FOMO. I don't want to miss out on, on something else like I did before. So everyone just started doing yep. like NFT. What, what was fascinating about it was, I think a lot of people just didn't even know what it really was. Even the ones like trying to yeah. like um, make scams off of it. It, it was like, hey, I'm, I'm just confident that I can make more money on this than I spend. I don't care what it is or whatever. And it took a while before people realized, wait a minute, I'm just owning, I'm, so, I'm just quote unquote owning uh A JPEG,
1: (laughs) like like like, what am I doing? This is this no value. And you see the the ongoing thing, which is all feeds into exactly the same thing. With like cryptocurrency, on the one hand, you have like dudes who actually think that Bitcoin is going to be like a currency that normal people use, or whether it's Bitcoin or or whatever it is, or whatever coin they're talking about is actually to be something that the average person is going to use to buy stuff. Like there are people that really believe that, and then on the other side, there are people who don't give a fuck about any of these coins, any of their utility. Don't get like someone does a white paper. It's like, oh, this coin solves all these problems with online transactions or whatever, and it's going to be great, and everyone's going to use it for to buy this certain sort of thing. And then ninety nine percent of people buying into it are just because I need to see that line go up. I need to make money off it. And um, you know, it's, so much of the economy is exactly like that. Um, whether it's like about platforms or assets or or, or or whatever. So yes, as getting back to the original point, like. <laughs> Something has to give. And I mean, probably whatever comes next will be even more insane way of organizing things. But like this particular mode can't have too much longer in it. Something ironic and
0: paradoxical about what you described to me, right, is you would think something making X amount of insane money off of hype and flash in just, you know, the first month or two before people even stopped, and took stock of if it even had any value to anybody's lives, you think that would make people think, okay, I'm not going to invest in the next one. This is all uh, BS. But I find it has the opposite effect. People think, okay, you see how fast that last thing rose yeah. and then flamed out. That means the next bullshit thing, I have to get in on it that much faster because people are finding out these are these are BS faster than ever. So instead of making people more skeptical, I find the next thing shoots up even more quickly because now everyone's like, okay, I missed the NFT train. That lasted like, what, a month? You know, I wasted too much time reading about it and suddenly it was (laughs) gone. You know, I missed out the chance to get this IPO or I I missed out a chance on uh, Bitcoin quintuple during the pandemic and I missed SafeMoon or whatever the new coin is. So I find like my friends who have gone into this thing, they're just buying stuff the minute it's announced because they just, you know, like like my friend was, my friend made money on Dogecoin and he was like, yeah, I barely got out in time. So he just bought the next thing even faster because yeah, no, I, these shit coins are coming out exactly. faster.
1: Yeah. And like, obviously we hear from people, like, as I said before, who genuinely think some of these things have utility and can be good or whatever. But yeah, the vast majority of people. I don't think anyone has any illusions about any of this sort of stuff. I think people are generally pretty smart. But the way that it it kind of, um, I think the the thing now that you have like average people, like there are obviously going to be like hustlers and early adopters and tech people and like really investment minded people who see an opportunity like that and jump on it really quickly. But I think as it sort of like penetrates into like average people, um, which I think. The crypto, like the Dogecoin stuff, and all that. I think that started to like percolate amongst people who weren't even like w- would never buy stocks in anything, and probably don't know much about, would have no interest in cryptocurrency as like a anything, um, and are just regular people, probably not very online, who all of a sudden were like, oh shit, I should I get into this? Um, and I think that's like a real break point for the bubble here is when like like if you're you know. My parents, who have no interest in this shit, were, like, asking me about Bitcoin and, like, Dogecoin because they had had seen it on the evening news, right? Because the the evening news was reporting on it as, like, a curiosity. Um, And, you know, they read stories about people who made an unbelievable amount of money from it and got out at the right moment. And I think, yeah, that moment where, like, real baseline retail investor people are like, could I jump on, get on the rocket and make a shitload of money is when the whole artifice starts to, like, really crumble.
0: I mean, especially when it's all on your phone. Like, you don't even have to have that daunting idea of I don't even know how to even buy a stock. Like, ev- everyone knows how to buy a stock, yeah. you know?
1: Even like, yeah, like the, the Robin Robinhood and Zero Brokerage, like, so you're not paying a fee. Technically, you don't own the stock. They're holding the stock for you. Um, it's kind of a clever way of doing it. But, like, exactly, the, the barrier to entry is gone. You can just download Robinhood and fucking ruin your life. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely ruin your life on Robinhood.
0: And, and even, like, a lot of these other... Uh, traditional like banks on their apps, they've added a trading function. So now, yeah. even if you don't now, even if you don't download Robinhood, like you know, on your bank app, you open it one day and it tells you, "Hey, guess what? We've added uh, stock buying function functionality because we saw what's happening with Robinhood." So it's like they're they're almost like pushing the stocks on you, like you know, some creepy drug dealer at a, at a playground, just
1: trying to, yeah, you know, yep. um, on you. yeah, um, yeah, suddenly and like I said. Again, I, I do put this down to the fact that low interest rates, people are not making money on their savings, got to put it somewhere, got to like try and... But, you know, exactly. Like the, also the thing you said, like the, that long tail, well, the opposite of like the long tail um, success. It's like if I luck out and I put it in the right thing, like I'm just set for life and I can I can uh, pull myself out. And obviously, as with everything else we've talked about today, it's only the real small number of people who managed to pull it off often by luck
0: the installment of your uh newsletter terminal that we're talking about is one called Lincoln Lincoln bio I think we're probably going to call this episode that as well because I I just feel like Lincoln bio is like I feel like there should be a tattoo I just feel like that's (laughs) says (laughs) says everything you're talking about the segmented life and I like this part where you where you say um you know you quickly, you'll quickly identify something curious. It's often the less successful people with smaller audiences who list more of these creator platforms on their um, link pages. There is no. This is no doubt due to the simple fact that the creator economy works just like the regular capitalist economy does. Uh, the gains tend to accumulate at the top with the biggest creators, which you know is more that long tail thing. You know, mm. uh, by one analysis, the top one percent of OnlyFans creators makes. A third of all revenue with seventy three percent going to the top ten percent. you know if you're only getting scraps from any one platform, you may as well broaden your offering. It creates an eerie effect, like you're looking at not a person but rather an array of shop fronts on a high street. The politics of the quote unquote personal brand has been with us for decades at this point, but this feels like a further further atomization. It's no longer sufficient to have a personal brand, however curated it may be. You need to live a truly segmented life, vertically sliced and compartmentalized and partial up for sale. I sell my time on Twitch, my body on OnlyFans, my reputation on Cameo, and my mind on Substack. And that was very depressing. Uh, thank you. <coughs>
1: I'm sorry. I'm glad to have yeah um, sent sent you into a downward spiral. That's what I aim to do.
0: It's so true, though, man. Like it's uh, but what what's interesting is not how true it is, but how normalized it is. Because it feels like it's been like this forever, and it really has not been. It's a very recent thing. Like like when you when I read you write about it, it screams out to me. Wow, this is very weird. But you know, before reading this this has felt like the most normal thing, even though really I've only been seeing Linktree personally, I think for
1: like a little over a year. Yeah. Um, because like, I, this is the, the thing that I want to, that I, I like to remind myself of is because there are certain people that talk about, you know, how tech changes the way we do things and like affects our brains and, you know, being on, being in our, on our phones all the time is whatever. Um, but the thing I like to try to remind myself is that off, as much as like tech does instantiate, and reapply the like the way that we does sort of change the way we behave. It also kind of like it works the other way too. um You know, the example I always I like to give is there was all that talk about you know YouTube radicalizing people, right? Like you know there are normal people who get on YouTube <laughs> and go further and further down the recommendation pipeline, and they come out the other end as like a Nazi or whatever, right? um is like the way that people it, but you, you need to remind us uh, the way I, I try to remind myself that like what puts someone in a position where they're watching youtube eight and a half hours a day and they can go down that pipeline like you know every time you see one of these people profiled mm-hmm. um they have just like the, the one the big one the new york times did they did that like rabbit hole one like the main guy they profiled had a shitty life like his life sucked yeah um and he, you know, he was listening, to, he was working like a, a, a packing job that he hated and like listening to YouTube in the background, didn't have any friends, didn't have a girlfriend, et cetera, et cetera. And you're like, that, you just got to remind yourself that yes, tech does amplify a lot of this stuff, but, you know, there's something else is causing this as well. Like, there is something else about the way that our lives are arranged and the way the economy is arranged and the way like we don't have, the kind of communities that would support people like that, or anyway, like a million other things that tech just represents rather than causes. And I think this is part of it as well, right? You know, what puts someone in a position where they feel like they have to be making money um, through, as I say, like a bunch of online shop fronts? What puts someone in a position where you know they aren't making enough money from a regular job that they have to be on Twitch twelve hours a day for for scraps? You know, that there's something else going on here it is beyond just platforms but i think even if you're not
0: one of these people doing it for scratch like say you have a day job that pays your bills and everything i think the other thing is that people just see everybody that seems to be just finding these different ways to just strike it rich and you just think like okay i'm paying my bills i'm not like scraping but what's my retirement look like or god i hate this job I have. So it's like, I think for some people, there's what you describe about, Hey, uh, this was promised to be like a side hustle, but, uh, instead it turned into, uh, my main gig and it, and it sucks. But I think for some people as well, uh, they're hoping for some kind of escape, like the corporate world. Yeah, there's no pensions anymore. Like the protections and everything they're offering you in your jobs, uh, sucks so bad that it's not worth the lack of fulfillment the way it used to be. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, there's no pension. There's no gold watch. There's no loyalty. There's no union or seniority. So it's like, I think it makes that, uh, segmented life not seem like that big a jump, you know, like in our parents day, when jobs actually meant something, you know, you could dangle this stuff in front of them, like probably forever. And they'd be like, I'm not giving a, a, a pension for that.
1: No, totally. I think I think you're right. There's And this is what I'm talking about, right? There's, there's, there's structural things outside of uh, platforms and tech and social media and all that stuff that tends to get blamed. Yeah. Uh, not that, you know, these things, these not, not like, and I never want to suggest that like Facebook and YouTube and Amazon, wherever aren't like insanely bad actors that are having, you know, bad social impacts because they obviously are. But like, yeah, there's something that has allowed them to thrive and make that offer that product the products that they do that um yeah and it's exactly as you just say um the last
0: thing i want to ask you about because i want people to check out your your newsletter um you're covering mm. the situation with the australian media and whatever happened with that i stopped reading about it what yeah. can you tell people what that was about and um uh, yeah, sure. what the res- what the end result ended
1: up being yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so the Australian media, um, to kind of like to cut uh, a long story short, we our, our basic we've got a, um, a body called the ACCC, which is our um, basically consumer protection bureau, antitrust organisation, um, and they've been singling for a very long time that they want to take action on the big tech companies across a wide variety of, for for a variety of reasons. But one of the big ones, which is kind of, you know, the the problem that's been faced by the media everywhere is that obviously, as we've been talking about today, it's media profits are down significantly because all that advertising money has been sucked up by Facebook and uh, Google. So the ACCC came out and passed something called the, the News Media Bargaining Code, which basically set out a framework that was going to force Google and Facebook to pay for content, like pay media companies for content. So our, our big newspapers, our big television networks, etc. cetera. Um, and it became like a global story because, you know, anytime um, any sort of jurisdiction tries to regulate tech, it's obviously a big story. And obviously it was potentially providing a model for how other uh, countries might do the same thing because obviously it's, it's, a, it's a global issue and, you know, the EU is trying its own sort of ways of doing this. But the Australian example was kind of unique. Basically, what it, the way that it would force, it would basically, it, it, it asked Facebook and Google, sit down with the media companies and make a deal for, to pay for the content. And if you don't make a deal, we're going to force you into arbitration. Um, so you an independent arbiter will literally sit down and say, here's how much money that you have to pay uh, the, the media companies to continue operating in Australia, or, et cetera, and obviously for Facebook and Google and other tech companies, that's just unconscionable. Like you, the thought of being in an arbitration with someone that's not, you know, controlled by them, who can just pick a figure, yeah. Because uh, it was it was it was down to baseball arbitration. Like both both companies would put forward a number, and the arbiter would choose one. And like obviously, that's if that was repeated worldwide, that would be like um, existential threat for um, media, com- for, sorry, for Facebook and Google. Anyway, basically what happened, uh, there were b- both sides of the debate argued and Facebook um, pulled the news feed from Australia, uh, blocked all news on Facebook, um, which you know obviously had like a massive impact on uh, the local news companies because Facebook is a big driver of traffic now, um, has been for a long time. Uh, so a lot of brinkmanship played on both sides. Eventually, uh, after doing that and, and threatening to do it again, um, they came to the table. They watered down the bill. They watered down the bill going before Parliament to uh, pass the new the bargaining code. And um, basically, what happened is the watered down bill said, if you can come to an agreement, the threat of arbitration goes away altogether. There's don't have to worry about it. The 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 bill doesn't even apply to you if you. Um, come to an agreement. So that's the position we're in now. And it's no longer kind of newsworthy because basically what has happened is Facebook and Google are paying Australian media companies uh, blood money to, yeah. to avoid this law being on the books. That's what they... They do not want this law on the books applying to them. That's all that's all they want. And that's understandable. So there are some pretty substantial payments going to media companies. Like over the course of five years, like one is getting at least $50 million maybe maybe a bit more from, from Facebook. Um, and Google's paying another, a similar sort of fee over, over a, a number of years as well. So it's not, it's not small money. It's not absolutely game changing massive, but they are being paid pretty substantially. Um, I'm going, but, to ask
0: a very basic question and that's, um, to what degree is this good or bad? Like I'm really trying to figure out like who's even, I think it's a, it's a,
1: yeah. Uh, it's, I, I, I don't think there's a, a good answer to that. Um, I was I was interested in the media because I'm interested in any kind of antitrust action yeah. with big tech, right? Um, like a lot of people, we, even locally, were describing this as kind of like alien versus predator. Like no one – yes, people don't like Facebook. They don't like how Facebook kind of throws its weight around in Australia, but they don't – you know, because one of the big companies here is News Corp. It's like Rupert Murdoch's yeah, News Corp. Exactly. So it's not like – so like if some, for a lot of people get taking money from Facebook to pay News Corp, which is a, co- a company they hate and entrench their power further, who, who wins in that scenario? No one. Yeah, yeah that was the um,
0: problem being on the outside looking at this is like, I have no idea yeah. who to even root for in this at all. It just feels like yeah. Alien versus
1: Predator and could be. No, absolutely. Um, and I think that's God, that's like a completely valid way of looking at it. Um, so yeah, it's mixed. On the one hand, I don't think anyone's lives were improved by this except, you know, I guess people that work for media companies, people that work in news media. It's nice to have some extra funding, I suppose. But um, on the other side, I think it provides a model for how tech can be regulated and something that Facebook and Google are obviously quite scared of because they they mounted a really big campaign here, like a public-facing campaign against the bill, which to me, like, you know, anything that scares Facebook and Google I think is – Good in some sense, right? Like there's there's something to that. Um, Whether this was actually socially beneficial, you know, depends who you are. But great chat. Yeah, no, the only thing I'm plugging right now is if you're interested in reading more of that kind of stuff, that's what I write about at The Terminal. It's my Substack newsletter, which is at uh, uh, www.theterminal.info. I-N-F-O. Uh, uh, Yeah, so I just write about like tech and politics and business and culture. Everything we talked about today is sort of like my area. This is the stuff that I'm covering. So Cheers.